This is Father Jacob Bertrand Jancic. And this is Father Gregory Pine. Welcome to God's Planning. Thanks to all those who support us. If you enjoy the show, please consider making a monthly donation on Patreon. Be sure to like and subscribe to God's Planning wherever you listen to your podcasts. Father Gregory, what's up? How's it going? I feel like it's been a while since we recorded. We did all this work before we went on the Camino and like recorded weeks ahead because we were gone and Ms. Katie Parker was also gone. So I feel like I haven't recorded with people in a long time. So what's up? This is true. Yeah, we did the Camino and Review episode, which is great, but we passed most of that time in a kind of bewildered ecstasy because we were still nursing, nursing the wounds of our, uh, of our late experience. So I don't know that any of us can be expected to remember any of that. But since then, I've done something even more challenging um, mm. than, than the Camino, which was being in Germany. Um, just kidding. With respect to all those German listeners out there, I'm sure you are many, multitudinous, a myriad. Um, yeah, I went to Germany to uh, study German, as one does in Germany, unless one is German and then one already knows German. Um, and it was good. Yeah, I was received very warmly by the Dominican community there in uh, a neighborhood in Berlin, just uh, west of city center, which is a really kind of bohemian, hip, wild combination of a lot of Turkish people and then a lot of people who think other things about life than I do. But I was really edified because I found there a kind of openness, which was refreshing. So I was often stopped on the street and people would be like, what are you? And I was like, I'm a wizard or I'm a, I'm, I'm a, I'm a ninja or, you know, I just the thought of the day. No, the I people, I'm a priest. Yeah, exactly. And I just had a lot of really good, really good conversations with people. And uh, yeah, just talked about everything, everything under the sun. Lots of, you know, like what's, what's the deal with the church, gay marriage stuff. And I was like, cool, let's talk about all of these things as I go to the supermarket to get oat milk. Um, like it's the 21st century. <laughs> so yeah, so things are going well. How about you? Oh, it's been, it's been great. So great. Uh, I moved up to Hanover, uh, New Hampshire a few weeks ago now. And I think we mentioned this, or maybe I'd mentioned this. I don't remember. Um, I am now pastor of our parish here at St. Dennis, the pet, wow. Parish of St. Dennis here in Hanover. Uh, our, the Dominicans run the campus ministry at Dartmouth and the parish in town. So it's two like separate apostolic entities, but we live together, um, that sort of thing. So it's kind of a return to the beginning for me because this was also my first assignment before I was vocation director. I was a year here on the campus ministry staff. So I took over as pastor July 1st. I've yet to celebrate a Sunday mass here as pastor, <laughs> which is incredible because of just wrapping up old um, not old, but travel and old commitments before I was assigned here. So um, trying to settle in, but also kind of caught in the mix of like wrapping up old work and trying to get into the new swing of things. But it's good. It's just kind of a whirlwind right now. But um, yeah, it's it's good. Enjoying it. Enjoying New England, the weather. Well, some of the weather. It's cooler than DC. Um, and that's it. So if you're ever in Hanover, New Hampshire, come to St. Dennis. It's a really lovely church. So yeah, that's life right now. It's kind of crazy. It is crazy. Crazy indeed. Yeah, indeed. Okay. Today, though, today, what are we mm -hmm. going to talk about? We're going to talk about shame. Um, this is, I think, um, something in different ways. I don't know if we would all use the word shame to express um, feelings of shame, but I think maybe we would. I don't know. Maybe I'm making it too complicated. But I think it's something that we all experience in different ways and whether or not we like manifest that externally or it's just kind of an internal reaction to 
our sins, our what, our inability to do things that we've set out to do, our inability to what, like maintain good and healthy relationships, um, you know, whatever it might be. I think shame is there. There's always a, a temptation when we reflect on our lives and sort of the state of where we are and what we're doing or what where we've come from or what we've done to be sort of trapped by shame. So we're going to talk about it because I think uh, we think that it, it's worth mentioning. Um, so I think perhaps the best thing to start out by doing or to start doing is to lay out sort of what we mean or what we're talking about when we're talking about shame and kind of where it falls in like a theological or, or sort of spiritual kind of context and then move on from there. So Father Gregory, set us up a bit. Um, what what are we talking about really when we're like, what's the essence that, you know, what are we trying to get at when we're talking about describing, experiencing um, shame? Yeah. Um, so as is our custom, we can uh, refer to St. Thomas Aquinas, not only because he's great, he's a great guy with great skills and because he's our brother, but also because I think that his thoughts on this particular matter are very helpful. Um, so when he describes the virtue of temperance, he says temperance has different parts. And when he talks about parts, he uses that word in uh, three main senses. The first sense is uh, an integral part. And he says, you know, just like with a house, you have a foundation and walls and a roof. So too, so too with the virtues, you have certain things which when taken together make up the virtue. And for the virtue of temperance, he says you have shame and you have what he calls like honesty, or we could say nobility of spirit. And so nobility is the type of thing that thrills at the good. And shame is the type of thing which um, is repulsed by the ugly. Um, so there are certain sins to which shame attaches, because when we've committed them, we feel like we've done something ugly. And usually they have a kind of public character to them. It's like, I drank too much. I said some crazy things. I don't remember all of the crazy things that I said. How do I go about making amends for that? Um, or like sexual sins, I think when they're known in a community, like you're in whatever college and it gets out that or blah, 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 you know, it's made known that, you know, there's a, there's a sense of shame that attaches to that. So typically I think we can start the conversation by saying it's associated with temperance. Temperance mod moderates our intake of like food, drink, sexual intercourse, et cetera, like these kind of most basic goods, carnal goods. Um, and that shame is that part of the virtue which kind of is repulsed by the ugliness of a particular of a particular act of a particular sin on account of the fact that it doesn't comport with our human dignity. So yeah, that gives us some building blocks, but maybe yeah. yeah, we can build it out from there. Yeah, one of the things when when I think about shame, um, I think the initial reaction or like the initial thought is that shame is it's a bad thing, like to be ashamed, um, or if someone is ashamed of you, like there's there's this negative um, quality to shame. But when we think about it in the terms that you've described as a, as a part of the virtue of temperance, there's also a positive um, aspect to shame in the sense that it, it, it helps us to, right, I think, like recoil or avoid things that are evil or bad. So yeah, it's associated with, with bad things, with evil things, with, with sin and vice, in as much as it's a part of the virtue of temperance that helps us avoid those things. Um, so I think it's helpful to think of shame in, in those in those terms that it's it's in a way kind of like part of or it plays with our our conscience 
to help us kind of avoid things that, that are evil or bad. Would, I guess, question then, would, when we talk about the parts of virtues, are those parts necessarily virtues? Like, would we call shame a virtue? Would St. Thomas call shame? Would we talk about, we talk about the virtue of temperance. Would we talk about the virtue of shame? Is that, should we think of it in those terms? Is that a little too, is that giving shame a bit too much? What do yeah. you think? I don't know. Yeah, my, I think my instinct is to say, not really, um, but it has some elements of a virtue. So when he talks about them in a strict sense, you know, he's being scientific about the matter, he would say, no, left to themselves, they're not, they're not, strictly speaking, virtues. But when taken together, they do constitute a virtue. And so it contributes to a virtuous life. It's part of building up a virtuous life, but it's not in itself a virtue. And I think because a lot of us have negative associations with shame, uh, it can kind of cloud our appreciation or our understanding of it. Uh, but I think that when we see it from a kind of healthy distance in a principled way, in a kind of speculative way, it helps us to appreciate the role that it does play in our lives. So there are plenty of things that you might have done, except that a certain shame attaches to those things. And so you are prevented from doing so. Now, is it, is it good to avoid an evil thing solely on account of the fact that you don't want to be associated with it or be numbered among the crowd of those who would do such a base activity? Well, that's not like the whole story, but it's part of the story. There are many reasons for which we don't do stupid things. And I think we should thank God, you know, like I was going to, but then I fell asleep. It's like, hey, praise God for your somnolent nature. Um, so, so when we associate it with an act already committed, of which we are presently accusing ourselves, then it can be really rough because it's something that we feel in the marrow of our bones. I did something shameful. I am shameful. But in principle, it's just the gaze that we cast towards a potentially re like repulsive activity. And it's the recoil that we experience, which oftentimes will spare us things which we could come to regret. So I think in that way, if we just take it in those terms, yeah, it's something good, like you said. Yeah. Okay. So there, there's sort of a, like a little situating the scene with, with shame under the virtue of temperance. Um, let's talk, I guess, more about like our experience, you were kind of getting to this a bit, but like our experience of, of shame of living with, and I think what, what you were just saying at the, in your, yeah, at the end there about like where it falls with respect to the act, either before or after has a lot to do with how we live and experience and, and sort of react to, to shame and to things that might cause shame. Um, yeah, so I guess where, like, in your mind and your thought and talking thoughts and talking about this, like, how does how does that affect our human experience? Should, is I guess what I'm what I'm wondering and what I think about here is whether or not, like, we talk about humility and and the virtues that sort of remind us of who we are before God, um, as and and we have to cultivate those virtues. Is is and you know we said shame's not really like a, a virtue strictly speaking in itself, but is that something? How, like, how do we experience it well before acting? And I guess, how do we experience it well after, you know, so as not to be caught by shame? If that, I don't know if that like dichotomy yeah, makes yeah. sense. Yeah, no, I think that um, it's fascinating to think about this question in the 21st century, because the 21st century has a deep seated allergic reaction to anything that sounds like judgment or condescension or patronization. And unfortunately, we've come to associate that with any moral judgment of any sort. So if anyone tells you that this activity is blameworthy, you're like, how dare you? And not you in the specific sense, but like you, the 21st century person is like, how dare you tell me 
that something that I am presently engaged in is not morally estimable. So there's a kind of wholesale rejection of the categories. And as a result of which, we've, yeah, gotten into the habit as, you know, modern human beings of just praising everything transgressive because of a latent, you know, discomfort with moral judgments, which is a fascinating phenomenon. We've just kind of swung wholly in the other direction. And so it's made it harder for people to make sense of their shame. So you, like, you know, you experience something or you do something, you experience it or do it as shameful. And then you're trying to grapple with those things. And everyone else in the culture is saying, celebrate it, you know, make a cause of it. Uh, shout down those who might tell you otherwise, right? So, so it's not an easy time to make sense of our shame. And I think it's helpful just to start with that experience. So there are moral judgments, which can be formulated by ourselves, by other people on account of the objective things that take place. And then sometimes we'll recognize in those judgments, like an object of whatever moral activity that's shameful. Okay. So like, um, let's say that there's a person, uh, his name is Christian. Let's say that he drinks way too much beer at a party. I'm just going to limit it to beer. That way it, it limits the scope of our experience. He just drinks way too much beer at a party. And in the midst of that experience, you know, he partially disrobes, he dances on certain surfaces, he says embarrassing things to other people, he confesses his love to a half dozen, you know, of the other those of the other guests invited. And then he wakes up, um, not wholly conscious of what happened, but somewhat conscious of the fact that he did embarrassing things. All right, should he feel shamed? Uh, yeah, yeah, I think he should. <laughs> but then the question is, like, what do you do with that judgment? Do you say I am bad to the core? I myself am, am ill made, right? I'm a terrible human being. Well, I don't know. We use that as a kind of shorthand for the fact that you did something wrong, but I don't think that we should take it to those, ex like to those extremes. So for us, it's more of a question of like, what do I do with the shame? How do I respond to moral judgments, whether rendered by myself or by the human beings in the culture? All right. And then like, what's the next step? So maybe we, I don't know if you have thoughts on that particular score. Yeah. I think what the, the sort of description of 21st century, like rejection of authority, rejection of sort of moral objective norms really kind of traps us, uh, traps people, um, because, because whether or not we want to acknowledge that there are certain ways by, you know, of living that conduce to our happiness, to our like fulfillment, you know, people, we live in a world where it says, like, create yourself, create your own sort of parameters of what it means to be good and happy and, and healthy and all the integrated. And, and that's just not true, because we're made for something and we're made in a particular way. And we, we really can't escape that even when we try to ignore it. Um, and and then what happens, I think, is that we, when we, as the world has tried to do this, as like Western culture has tried to do this, um, you come up against the reality that not all of that is true and good. And so you kind of face this, yeah, the, the shame of like what we're doing, what I've done. And I think the problem is, as you were just like leading us into this, uh, leading us in this conversation is then, okay, well, how do I handle that? And for those who think that they are sort of the arbiters of all things, you know, the creator of their own, their own world and those sort of things. There's not much, there's no, like, there's not much place that's not proper English. There's not really anywhere to go because relief from shame, relief from shame is not something that we create. Like, I don't think it's very hard unless we be, we really begin to, to um, relativize and kind of just ignore reality. It's really hard to sort of excuse ourselves when we feel the shame of our actions, you know, in, in the sort of what Christian name, not faith person example, you've made this very complicated for me to refer to Father Gregory, but in that sort of setting where like he goes to the party and behaves as he does, the relief of, of the shame and the guilt is not something that he can bestow on himself. 
um, it's not something that we can sort of alleviate ourselves of for ourselves. So um, I think that's where like Christ, <laughs> the Christian context comes to, comes to bear because um, the alleviation of such shame um, begins and is sourced in the reality that we are not our own forgivers, that mm-hmm. God is the one who forgives. Um, and there is a way, and this is, you know, there is a way to be alleviated, to be forgiven, um, to, to sort of face that shame with, with like your head up, um, in encountering Christ. So, uh, yeah, I think I, I often think when I, when I'm hearing confessions, um, there's a big difference between guilt and shame. You know, when people confess their sins, there's an admission of guilt. Obviously that's like the base foundation of going to confession. There's also you can there's also a sense of difference between when someone feels ashamed of their sins and is you know and that's not uncommon, um, but the, I think that that there's you know in that beginning or in that relationship with Christ is where we begin to sort of see that there's there's a, a sort of out if that makes sense. Yeah, no, I think too. I'm thinking here of a full fledged virtue, namely penitence, uh, which has a lot to do with shame, because I think. And this is a Harry Potter point. Um, you know, Harry is talking to Dumbledore and Harry's like, hey, man, I'm like feeling a lot of Voldemort feelings right now. Am I just a bad human being? And he's like, no, nah, it's not so much how you feel. It's it's how you choose. Sage, you know, like Dumbledore advice. Um, and um, I think that when we talk about shame, so when we talk about guilt, shame, penitence, ongoing conversion, a variety of kind of interrelated factors, which uh, motivate in us a more perfect response to the Lord. Um, you know, to his gift of our identity and mission. I think that it's it's important for us to just focus on, okay, it's going to register a certain way. And a lot of that is dependent upon your personality, your temperament, okay? Some of us might be more, um, yeah, I guess I'm thinking about this right now, given where I live. You know, I live in Switzerland and there are people here who are more Germanic, people here who are more Italian, people here who are more French, and each of them have their different kind of reactions to stressors, to social situations and stuff like that which don't bear a moral weight. It's just like, you know, you do it this way or you do it that way or you do it the other way. It's like, it's like no big deal. Um, the question then is like, how do you comport yourself in light of that response? Like in light of how it registers for you in light of the type of reaction which it would normally elicit given your background, you know, given who you are, who your parents are, your type of moral formation, the experiences that you've been through. Okay, so what's next? So I think shame is good insofar as it reveals a fact and then it motivates a response. If it's an occasion whereby we become plunged in an ongoing contraction spiral of self-accusation or of self-condemnation, not good, okay? Because that sounds to me like the devil's work, who is the accuser of all men. Uh, but if we recognize in it a kind of moral degradation, which is not in, like not in keeping with our dignity, with our identity and mission as human beings and as Christians, then good, okay? But I think that once we've garnered that from the experience, then we then we seek to move on. And that will ultimately have us, you know, before the Lord as beggars, asking for the grace to leave the past in the past, accept that aspect of penitence, which sends us into the future with a deepened desire to repent of what has been um, and to incline yet more perfectly to what could be in light of the grace of this present moment. So I yeah, think, um, yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say what you're saying there with respect to like, 
reacting well to shame is sort of recognizing something as it is and then uh, how it elicits the response is how a way by which we can see shame as being sort of like a quasi or part of of a virtue in that like we always want to react virtues the virtues you always want to it's always about the mean you know avoiding the pitfalls of excess or or lack and so i think so too with shame here that like we want to cultivate a we could say like a healthy relationship with shame in as much as it helps us recoil from things that are bad or repugnant. Um, and also like to it, having committed those, if, if we do having committed those things to cultivate a virtue of the virtue of penitence, so as to repent from that, but we want to like, you know, so that's, that's the good and the mean in the middle. Um, but we want to avoid this sort of self, what like flagellating reality of shame of, of, where it becomes a stumbling block as father Gregory was just describing, you know, that's the trick of the devil to, to distract us from pursuing God's mercy and, and an attitude of penitence. But we also don't want to become cold to reality and saying, well, it doesn't matter. You know, that's, you know, if we, if the, if this dude Christian goes to the party and wakes up the next morning and behaves as he did without any sort of like reaction to it. And it's like, this is normal. Well, also as we see there, there's like a, a lack of shame. Um, so I, I think that response though is really, is really the important aspect uh, of of our sort of reaction to uh, our actions, right? That we don't want to shame is is a tool, as the virtues are, is a tool to help us behave and live properly in accord with what it means to be a human being. But it's not something that we ought to um, use to beat ourselves up. And I think here often of like when I offend people, which is which is like on the regular, I just say you know offensive things a lot. Um, and, and asking for forgiveness, which I probably do, or apologizing, which I probably do less than I should. Part of, I think part of that reason is because of like the shame of having to admit that I've done something wrong or like I've offended or I've behaved poorly, but there's a beauty in even just in relationships with other people of using that, that shame as a motivating factor of like, of recognizing, yeah, I behaved poorly. So how do I react? Like, what do I do in this, in this circumstance? Is it, do I sort of cower in fear and run? Or do I, you know, face it and ask, beg for, apologize and beg forgiveness? So too with the Lord, you know, this is how our, our relationship works with him that we're not, we're not called. We should, we ought not be sort of so ashamed that we can't ask forgiveness, whether that's amongst acquaintances, friends, family, and, and God even. Yeah, I think here, I was just thinking, as you were talking about the fact that conversion is right. So it's, it's a word. Um, and the word is based on the Latin word vertebrae, which just means to turn. And I was thinking about, you know, how St. Thomas talks or describes the process of conversion. So it's like God infuses a grace. It causes in us a movement towards him, which then causes a movement with respect to our sins, which are remitted, right? So it's, it's first about God who motivates in us a response to him, which then situates us with respect to our past life, situates us with respect to our past sins. And I think that what shame is, is it's a, a kind of instrument that the Lord uses as part of this ongoing conversion, right? It, it draws us to the recognition of him, who is the giver of all spiritual beauty, so that we can be repented of the spiritual ugliness, like in which we have indulged, whether that was out of ignorance or out of malice or out of weakness, we did, okay? And, but it's a matter that we will undertake in, you know, in the context of this relationship with the Lord, which currently holds our gaze. And so I think of a lot of the scriptural imagery, 
in which, or according to which, the Lord describes himself as the bridegroom in search of us, the people of God, whether Israel or the church, who is his bride. And in Lumen Gentium, uh, the dogmatic institution of the Second Vatican Council on the Church, when it talks about these different images which govern our understanding of the church, one of the ones that she uses, that the church uses in that document, is the image of the bride. And it's used to highlight the church's holiness and the holiness of the church, not as a product of her own struggles, her own striving, although those are instrumental in our ongoing sanctification, but really as a product of the Lord's love, as, as a product of the bridegroom's love, because it's the bridegroom who keeps his, pro, who keeps his bride spotless, right, without stain or wrinkle, um, because he makes her glorious on account of the love that he bestows, you know, without... Uh, yeah, without cost or without any foreseen merits on our behalf. So I think that this fact of like the Lord who gives the holiness should be in the forefront of our mind. Yeah. Yeah. There, there's this, I guess, uh, lest you think father Gregory's just making all this up. I think the, uh, uh, a really beautiful place to see this description of shame and conversion in the Lord's, you know, initiating through grace is in, in the par not the parable, but the, the story of the Samaritan woman, um, at the well in the gospel of John, um, even just thinking through that very quickly, like why is she collecting water at midday? Well, it's because she's ashamed of her sin in her life. And, you know, it's the Lord who comes to her and invites her deeper and deeper into relationship through the dialogue. And as she begins to recognize him, you know, he gives her the living water and, you know, just that, that chapter in, in the gospel of John, um, yeah, really highlights uh, all of that. And then at the end, of course, she goes to tell the village what what's been done, you know, that her, her conversion as Father Gregory is talking, is talking about is, is to is to live with, but also to witness to Christ. And there's a great beauty in that and, in ways in our own ways in ways that are unique to each of us where we're called to the same, we're called to experience the same sort of conversion, the same sort of grace, mercy, but also the same kind of like sending, like the, 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 re, the, we can think of, we don't like, yeah, shame is a tool as the virtues are in an instrument, but we don't want it to be all too instrumentalized in the sense that it's only something that has like, just a kind of like an effect and that's done. Well, it's like, well, what is the effect? Well, the effect is that we might be drawn closer into Christ and to share in his life. So it's shame in a way is kind of like a bumper before acting and a, a, like a, a catalyst after acting or, you know, so as to turn in the right direction and, and continue to turn in the right direction. So, um, yeah, there's, there's an important kind of aspect to all of that too. So we have a few minutes left. So Father Gregory thoughts, conclusions, concluding thoughts, I should have yeah. said and used all those on shame on living with it on living with it. Well, perhaps. Yeah. I have two, two concluding thoughts. One is that, uh, it's a kind of goal for us to become shameless. And when you hear that, it's astonishing because we usually use shameless in a negative sense. Like, yeah, she would do that. She's totally shameless. But, you know, those who are confirmed in their iniquity become shameless because they're no longer troubled by their shame. But we too also seek not to be troubled by shame in a certain sense because we've like grown beyond it because it's become to us a possibility less and less real because we become so engrossed in our relationship with the Lord that the thought of doing something that doesn't comport with that relationship is just more and more distant. Um, so yeah, I think that, that shame is the type of thing that we want to banish from our lives, but it's a temptation to banish it and becoming wholly immersed in the sin and then embracing the sin as if it were part of our identity and mission. But for us, the, the instinct should be just the opposite to distance ourselves from the spiritual ugliness, which causes the shame so that we can be yet more perfectly caught up in the spiritual beauty, which makes us radiant, um, you know, by our reception of the grace that God gives. 
And the last thing I would say is, yeah, shame is a sign that you've fallen down. The important thing is to get back up. So if it becomes temptation to, yeah, become so focused on the fact of having fallen, then that itself, yeah, is the work of the evil one. So when you've fallen down, you get back up. And Jacques Philippe says that in Searching for and Maintaining Peace. The goal is to maintain peace. Uh, the goal is not to permit the evil one to rob you of your peace because when we remain in a state of peace, even when we sin, the Lord is able to make it redound to his glory. So those are just two small encouragements. Yeah, and I think too we hear, not I think, I say that a lot. I've tried to be, I've tried to work that out of my vocabulary. So I'm going to, I'm going to begin anew. Um, I'm ashamed of that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we often hear during Advent and especially during Lent, um, reminders or calls to to go to the sacrament of penance to go to make a good confession. Um, it's not just during the penitential seasons that we ought to do that, but really, um, you know, regularly. So here's a little call to go to go to confession if you haven't been in a while or need to go. Um, because it's, as Father Gregory was talking about earlier, building this, this virtue, this habit of penitence involves the sacrament and the sacramental graces help us to to build the habit of penitence, but also to live with shame and, and move beyond shame, as Father Gregory was just describing, it doesn't happen just to us, but it happens with us by 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 living in our Lord's mercy, um, by repenting of our sins, but receiving that grace to to get up when we fall in, as Father Gregory was describing. So one of the I think the way by which by which we move on from shame because because of you know we're no longer afraid of it is by living with Christ and availing ourselves of of his grace and his life and especially in the sacraments especially in the sacraments so there you have it a little bit on shame a little bit on other things and uh yeah great thank you thanks again to all of our supporters if you'd like to to help out uh and tithe to our work check us out at patreon.com slash godsplaining we're very grateful for all of your support, of course. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, like, subscribe, leave a five-star review wherever you listen to your podcasts. Visit godsling.org to shop our merchandise. Keep an eye out in the coming um, probably month or so. We'll be launching some new merchandise, so get excited. That's great. I'm not sure fanny packs will be back, but you know, here's hoping. Uh, and also on our website, godsplaining.org, get dates and information for our upcoming Godsplaining events. Um, we have a couple retreats at the end of July and August, and we're basically at the deadline. There's still a little bit of room, so if you're thinking, let me, I'd like to get a retreat in this summer, check us out, godsplaining.org. And as always, thanks for tuning in. Uh, we'll keep you in our prayers, and please pray for us. Until next time, God bless.